Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, you can reach us at the podcast by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi guys, I'm Jim. I'm the Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JimKnight88. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor of TheEaglesBeak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. You can catch us um, on Twitter at TheEaglesBeak and the website is TheEaglesBeak.com. I'm also a co-producer and co-presenter of a local community radio show called, or football show called Back of the Net on Susie Radio. So that's available online if uh, anyone wants to tune in um, on Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Yeah, hi guys. This is Rasmus. You can follow me on Twitter at ChelseaRomus. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. We'll start off with Jim's Lesser, who, of course, have Jamie Vardy and Riyad Mahrez, who have combined for 27 goals this season, at least contributed to. Uh, next closest, Arsenal, with Utsil and Sanchez, with just 17. Uh, Lesser, top of the table, also. So just, h- how is all of this kind of coming through to you at the moment? And a lot of people hating on you, saying the schedule's too tough. Just how does it feel to be a Leicester fan right now, as I feel many people are vicariously living through you? Yeah, that's a nice feeling, actually. I think the majority of people are quite enjoying it. Um, I think the style of football that we're playing, which is we don't care about defending and we're just trying to score one more than the opposition for the majority of games, is garnering us quite a lot of neutral fans. That said, um, we did keep a clean sheet. Um Again, against Newcastle. For and the, won a pizza party second, there. Yeah, the second time um, we, we've we done that this season. So that is a, a good kind of uh, statistic in terms of trying to preserve our league positioning. But I can't see us keeping a clean sheet over the next few games because we have some really tough opposition. Um, you can't really mention the fact that we are top of the league without saying that we haven't really played anyone um, that good apart from Tottenham and Arsenal. Uh, and the Arsenal result just kind of smacked of what could happen several times over the next six or seven weeks where we just tried to outscore a team that were significantly better than us going forward and, and we lost 5-2. Um, but yeah, on the whole, it just it's a fantastic experience. And I mean, I think for the majority of fans, we're just happy to be picking up lots of points very early after last season and having to kind of come back from 10 points adrift of safety with 12 games to go or something ridiculous. Having you know, getting cl- so much closer to that forty point mark well before Christmas is brilliant. Um, it you know we could well drop off over the next six to eight weeks, but hopefully you know we've done more than enough now to secure ourselves another spot in the in the Premier League. And then once you get to forty points, you can start looking towards where you you want to finish higher up the table. Um, the form of Mares and Vardy, 
Vardy in particular over the last few games who's kind of stepped into the limelight as he approaches this kind of or equals this Ruud van Nistelrooy consecutive goals record has been insane. Um, it looks like he's going to score every time he gets the ball, which is fantastic to watch and really good for kind of making that atmosphere as electric as possible, whether you're going home or away. Um, and yeah, it remains to be seen whether he can he can break that record um, against Manchester United. But given the game where we played them last year at home and we beat them 5-3, I think there's a certain air of confidence about the team and we go into it you know, feeling that we can beat them. And they may well be second in the league, but... They haven't done that much, I don't think, to to make us think that we don't have a significant chance given the results that they've had of late. And, you know, they've hardly been blowing teams away. So it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of defensive Van Hal style of football fares when it comes up against a team that are kind of the exact opposite and just going all out attack. Yeah, it'll definitely be an interesting clash of styles. United obviously having troubles finding the net. Uh, and is, am I correct in thinking that you are still getting pizza parties for each clean sheet? I think that has died off a bit now. Ah. I think if we were having pizza parties, you might be noticing the defence being a bit slower than they normally <laughs> are. and We might be conceding a few more goals. But yeah, I'm glad that's out of the way. I'm glad we kept the clean sheet, not just because we won the game, but also so people can talk about something else other than Claudio Ranieri offering pizza to the players. <laughs> um, which was like an offhand comment in week three when we conceded but won mm. most of the games and then it just became a thing that people would just say for the next month or but so. But he actually did it though, right? After you oh yeah, he did it, yeah. yeah. Like um, Christian Fuchs put a picture of him on Twitter with his slice of pizza and kind of that. <laughs> oh, was... It, was, it was just one pizza and only yeah, the defenders just, could yeah. have it. <laughs> it would, yeah, just an extra large pizza and they get half a slice each, the whole squad. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was good to... Um, it was good to get that out of the way. And yeah, maybe he's still buying pizza for the players. Maybe they're just having to do double fitness sessions on Monday, but <laughs> I can't imagine that's going down too well if they are. Yeah. All right. Well, you mentioned it's, uh, it's unlikely that you will be able to hold this lofty position uh, for much longer, but if you had to put a number on it, where do you think you finished the season? I, when I came on and when I've been on throughout the season, I've always said I'd be happy kind of with 17th and pushing on from there. But now, you know, realistically, we're looking at a situation that's better than that. And I think I can say that now that we are top of the league um, with, I think, 27 points. You know, we can start looking upwards and saying it would be brilliant if we got into the Europa League. But for me, you know, a top 10 finish would be a real achievement, considering if you take the context of where we've come from, and the fact that it's been League One up to the Championship, a real, real struggle to get into the Premier League after 10 years away, to go from that to a top 10 finish in two years would be incredible. And, you know, there's got to be plenty of credit passed around the club from that, from various divisions, whether it be sports science and the, the impact that they've had on Jamie Vardy's form and the scouting, bringing in players like Mares and Kante, um, who's been brilliant this year and, you know, was flying somewhat under the radar for a lot of clubs, I'm sure, who were looking kind of further up the the price tags. We brought him in for what is relatively a small fee in Premier League terms and he's looked an absolute machine in midfield um, through to Claudio and the, and the management that was still there, the majority of the under Nigel Pearson. You know, they've just carried on that form from last year so anything top 10 I'd be really happy with I'm not going to be too upset if we finish 11th or 12th to be honest um, we're still going to be playing Premier League football next year and that's the main thing for us 
Yeah, still have to pick up 13 points to be sure you're safe throughout the entire yeah. rest of the season. Yeah. I think we, we might we just get there. If we didn't manage that, I think I probably won't come on again because I think <laughs> that would just it. Yeah, that would be, you know, that would actually be more surprising than where you are now is if you yeah, somehow definitely. managed to mess that up. Uh, All right, well, Jay, this is actually an excellent segue because a lot of the the terminology being used there by Jim on where he'd like to finish very similar to you when you were coming up and got your first top 10 finish. Is that still kind of uh, what you're looking for? Are you now starting to look further up the table, obviously, with Kabai back, and now you actually have a striker that's fit? Yeah, very much so. It's great listening to Jim, actually, because it kind of um, echoes a lot of sentiment that we had last season. You know, when we first came up, we, uh, you know, we survived and finished... um, Eleventh uh, and then tenth last season, and we're hoping to push on this season. And I think you know we've just lost to Sunderland on, on, on Monday night, which is it was such a disappointing, frustrating game because you know we should be beating a team like Sunderland. But fair play, they came with a game plan. Big Sam parked the bus, um, and we couldn't you know we we couldn't get through their defence, and you know we were we we're, we're a team that kind of thrives on the counter attack and the quick pace and speed, and they were getting behind us and. Yeah, trying to slow the play up and uh, not criticising anything they did at all. For me, it's not particular football, but I know when we, you know, we were struggling as a club and 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 trying to get points out of games, I'd have been absolutely chuffed with that result uh, from their perspective. So I can completely understand that. From our perspective, you know, we, you know, we've got exciting players, wingers. You know, we both. Balassi and Zaha were trying to get around the defence and, and when they did, they just couldn't get across in. It was either being cleared at a near post or going or being over hit. And a lot of criticism has been levelled at Connor Wickham on social media since the game, um, during the second half and ever since the defeat on Monday night. And for me, I I don't think he was, you know, had, had much to, you know, that he could have done very much differently. Uh, he played as a lone striker, which is the role that we've brought him in to do. He's come back from a long layoff. He's missed five or six games, I think. I think his last game was at Chelsea, which in that game he had a fantastic uh, game and, and really set us up for the result in the way that he played. He didn't get the service. You know, as, as a striker in that position, you want the ball on the edge of six-yard box to, to head at home. We weren't getting anywhere near that. We weren't getting over the first man. And when we did, we were getting over to the far post. We, we were just, we had a couple of players that were off form. Punching for me was terrible actually in that first half three corners he had in succession to every corner exactly the same couldn't beat the, the, the first post and he did the same for all three of those corners he was slow in the build-up um you know he slowed the game down which gave Sunderland a perfect opportunity to get players behind the ball um you know it's a loss it happens you know Sunderland did exactly the same thing to us last season we lost 3-1 at home last season terrible game um different scoreline this time you know it was 1-0 and, and we gave it to them I mean that that goal it just summed up our night, really. I mean, Scott Dan, I, I've been saying that he's, you know, he should be playing for England. He made one mistake last season, and that was against Villa, and we lost one 0 at home. It was a terrible mistake for him to make. He made it on the, on the touchline, allowed Benteke to have the ball, didn't clear the ball. Benteke took it off him and ran in that goal and scored. Very similar scenario. In that I think Hennessy could take some of the blame for this actually, because if he had have stayed around his penalty spot, the ball was kind of kicked away from Defoe and he might have had a chance of getting to it or at least Defoe would have had to take it round him or, or, or you know, Hennessy would have had a shot to save but maybe he's in no man's land but Dan, for me, should have got rid of it and it's disappointing at that point in the game, 10 minutes to go, we should have had chances, you know, we, we had, I think, I think we had four decent chances, one from Kambai, uh, one from MacArthur and also from Sacco um, 
But, uh, you know, negatives for me, the couple of players, you know, just weren't on form. Punch on a mention, Suarez was one of the worst games he's played for us at left back. Couldn't really do anything going forward to control the ball. Um, I think our best players really were probably Kabai and MacArthur in the middle who just kept on running the game, kept on trying to get things going. If anything was going to happen for us, it was going to be that straight down the middle because both Balassi and Zaha weren't really getting any change out of, uh, out of something on the fence. And like I mentioned, when they were, they, they couldn't cross the ball into Wickham. Um, you know, not, it's just a dis- disappointing result because of the way Sunderland, I think they had... I think they'd lost their last six six away games in the Premier League and you know they come to Palace and get another result like they did last season. The fact is Pardew's never done well against Sunderland. Um, he said so himself after the game. I just hope that he could sort it out for Newcastle at home, which I think will be a completely different game entirely. I think Steve McLaren won't be parking the bus for Newcastle. But you know, we saw we saw very similar at Bournemouth. They had, I think they had one chance at Bournemouth and they scored it. Um so it'd be interesting to see what Pardew changes up. The good thing to see is Wickham as as you mentioned, Kev, Wickham was back for us after a long layoff. Um he looked a bit rusty to be fair, um, but he wasn't particularly getting the service. He was fighting hard uh, for the ball against those big Sunderland defenders. And the other highlight for me was Shamak uh, coming on for the last fifteen minutes. He's been out injured for the whole season. Um he's struggling he struggled to get over that pulled hamstring that he'd done in the last game of last season actually so um had a recurrence in in the summer of it so um hopefully he's back to full strength and we can you know we have a couple of proven strikers that we can uh, we can call upon going into you know a few games uh, before we get to the you know christmas break but um disappointing but i'm not too disheartened i think i'm pretty much like uh, jim really in that I'm hoping that we can improve on last season's finish of of tenth place, but you know we're in tenth at the moment. That's pretty pretty good after 13 games for me. Could have been better, but it could have been a whole lot worse. Uh, to be honest, the other news coming out of Palace is the uh, is the American investment. Mm. Um, Josh Harris um, is um, well. I think it's only moments away from being signed, so um, they're going to take a share of the club, which would be the same share of Steve Parrish, who will retain. Um, you know, the control of the club. Um, the other three owners, um, the Palace Consortium, will stay at the club but have a lesser share, but we'll still have a say. So it's evenly spread, well spread, and we have a bit of an investment. I think it's about 150 million, which will go into improving a stadium, academy, and that will leave, you know, the club to focus or, or not take any money away from their transfer budget to, to do those other things. So it gives us a little bit more freedom going forward, which is uh, which would be very welcome. Mm. Not to ruin on anyone's parade, but he is also owner of the currently 0-15 Philadelphia 76ers, yet to win a game this season, but that's a whole other thing I don't want to get into or send any uh, letters talking about how I'm besmirching someone's character, Cough Shahid Khan of Fulham slash the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, <laughs> I'm really not sure I was supposed to mention that. But anyway, um, a rumor that's come about with you getting this new investment is Islam Slomani possibly coming in. Would Crystal Palace, even with more money, spend $12 million plus on another striker, having just done so in the summer? Well, like I mentioned, I think you know the investment will give us a bit more freedom. We won't have to think about using money for other things, you know, uh, trying, trying to divvy up that transfer budget and using it for this, that and the other and taking it away from, you know, the improving the playing stuff. Whether we would spend that much money on another striker, I mean, we, we spent a fair bit on bringing in Wickham in. Um, we spent a lot on Kabai to make him a marquee sign-in who, you know, has been brilliant for us so far this season. I have to say he has been everything and more that we, we expected from him. Um, so, I don't know. We're struggling for goals. That's that's the big thing. 
with Shamat coming back and Wickham coming back, they've got you know a fair few games now to kind of prove their worth to the team. Um, if they don't, then I could quite envisage just going out and getting a new striker. Whether it be twelve million, I don't really know. Um, you know, I know the owners are very shrewd in what they do, and they're very very financial orientated, and know that <clears throat> they have to be careful. But with you know with the investment of money, we'll give them a bit more freedom to allow perhaps Pardew to do that. I would expect us to be getting rid of a few players if that happens, if we go for another striker. Um, but I, I'd, I want to see Wickham and uh, Shamak and see what they have to offer between now and, you know, we've got a busy Christmas schedule. Um, Gail's out injured at the moment as well, which Gail has worked and hasn't. Um, for me, still doesn't, he can't play that lone role. He's not that player. And however much it pains me to say, I think, you know, it's, it's probably a player, wrong time, wrong club, really, uh, for us. And I think he, him and Campbell should be two that will go. Bamford, I think, needs to go back to Chelsea. Unfortunately, he's not really shown anything for us. Not really had the opportunity, but there must be something going on in the background, not showing enough in training or I don't know, or whether Pardew just doesn't like him. I, I don't know what it is. He came on for, I think he got 20 minutes in the game against Sunderland, but he made a couple of good runs, but he, he wasn't being picked up. And I, I don't know whether there's something, fun, you know, something odd going on there. I don't know. But I think for us, we need somebody to be scoring. And if it's not Wickham and it's not Shamak, then maybe we need to get somebody in in January. All right. And you guys are just killing it with these segues. Obviously, Jay mentioning Patrick Bamford on loan from Chelsea, alleged mega prospect at one point. Uh, do you see him coming back to the club anytime soon? And do you think Chelsea's season has been revitalized now with the win against Norwich? Um, about Bamford, yeah. He's, he's probably going to come back to Chelsea now um, in January because, as you said, Jay, his, his loan is really not working out for some reason. Uh, nobody really seems to know why it is because he's he's a really hard-working player. That's that's what I've always heard about him. And and he, uh, you know, he's, he's, an, he's a natural goal scorer. You could argue that perhaps he's not quite at the the level that Palace need yet, and that might be it. You know, um, because it's his first season where he he's actually playing in the in the Premier League and where he would have the chance to play regularly in the Premier League. And perhaps he's just not ready for that. And that's what Partey's seen. But um, I don't think anyone at Chelsea has really given up on him, on him yet. I know that Mourinho rates him very highly. Um, he, uh, according to Bamford, they were they were in contact quite regularly last season, which obviously must be a good sign uh, for him. But uh, it's difficult at Chelsea, and he'll have to uh, he'll have to do better on, on his next loan because he's not going to get any game time at Chelsea. That's for sure. Even though Falcao is probably a whole lot worse than than he is. So um, it'll be interesting to see where where he goes after January because I'm almost sure that he's going to come back. And I I even believe that Pardew said that he was probably going to go back to Chelsea. I uh, don't know if you can confirm that, Jay, but I think you said that. Yeah, he's, yeah, I think there's been a lot of rumours about that, yeah. All right, okay. Well, it, it just doesn't seem to be working out for anybody, so it doesn't make any sense to, to let him stay at Palace. But we'll see what happens. About Chelsea and, and Norwich and whether we've revitalised our season, um, I'm going to be careful um, because it's easy to say, yeah, you know, two wins in a row... We're you know we're getting back and we're gonna beat Tottenham on Sunday. Obviously, that's that's quite probable whether we're playing badly or <laughs> well. But um, it's we've had so many false dawns this season uh, where we've all been thinking, okay, this is a turning point. Uh, particularly when we beat Maccabee the first time around, 
four nil, and then went on to beat Arsenal at the weekend after that. Uh, only to you know keep losing <laughs> after that. I, I don't know what it was about the Arsenal game. I think the players they were just they were so fired up about it. I think also when we play Arsenal, it's one of those clubs where they're really really good, and so the players they're very very focused. But we also know that we can beat them, and we can always frustrate them, and we always manage to do it. It's it so rarely goes wrong, you know. We always win at home, draw away, and it works every season. And it must be so frustrating to be Arsene Wenger playing against Jose Mourinho. But uh, enough about Arsenal. Uh, against Norwich, it was probably our best game of the season, despite us only winning one nil. Uh, Hazard was on it. He was really good. Sesk is much better than he's been for. The rest of the season, he's he was actually uh, creating quite a few chances, not losing the ball every time he had it, which was brilliant to see. Costa, you know, he scored the winner, still not quite in top form. He just doesn't make the runs right now, and that's obviously some sort of confidence problem, which is odd to think about with a player like Costa, who's always, his attitude seems like, you know, he's built on pure confidence and I don't know what's wrong with him right now, but he's he's not making the runs into the six-yard box and, and he could have so many tap-ins because Hazard is actually getting to the byline now. And he's he, he had three or four great crosses that were easy tap-ins for any striker that would have moved into the six-yard box on, on Saturday, but, but Costa wasn't there at all, um, which was obviously disappointing. But he did take uh, that one chance where we caught Norwich sleeping, to be honest. And it's a bit, you know, if you think about it, that's that's not very impressive at home against Norwich, who, no offence, but they're not one of the strongest sides in in the league, and you would expect us to beat them fairly comfortably. So to have to rely on, on a on a goal where basically they switched off completely, obviously that's what you have to do, but good teams should be able to cover better chances um, in the game. And we did have some chances. We did we did actually play quite well. The ball moved much better than than we uh, have in recent games. Well, throughout the whole season, really. And our defense was far more solid. Uh, even Ivanovic played a a great game. He was actually uh, I don't recall him making a single mistake. So that was nice to see. And uh, we were sort of hoping it was going to carry over into the game against Maccabi. And and we did win four 0 away. And you can never complain about that. Maccabi as opposition. Are perhaps not the strongest side either, um, but an away game in Israel, it's 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 a tricky fixture, and it's one of those you can easily stumble uh, at if you're not completely up for it. And obviously the players were. Uh, the scoreline was perhaps a, a tad flattering, and what's really concerning is that we're not scoring enough goals from open play. Only uh, Oscar's goal, the third one we had last night, was actually from open play. So. Um, we need to to get better at, at finishing our chances because we're actually starting to create them now, which is brilliant to see. Uh, Hazard is looking more up for it. Uh, that's probably the the main thing about it because he was a player of the season last season and the PFA Player of the Year as well. The main thing is probably that Hazard he's he's looking up for it again now, and he's uh, he's running far more in some cases. Actually, he didn't run that much yesterday against Maccabi, which is uh, which was odd. But uh, in the end, we didn't really need him to. We scored four goals and and uh, we're in a very good position where we just we need a draw against Porto in the next game um, to go through, which, by the way, is, is a very complicated matter because if Kiev beat Maccabi at home, which they presumably will, 
and we draw against Porto at Stamford Bridge, which is not that unlikely, then we'll have three teams on 11 points uh, and we'll be above Kiev on head-to-head, but below Porto. But Porto will be a... Um, Porto will be below Kiev, so in that way they'll all cancel each other out. And <laughs> Wait, so it's just like a circle of teams? It's a circle no of actually advantages, yeah. So <laughs> it's uh, very complicated. But basically, if Kiev win and we draw, then Porto are actually out. Uh, and we'll go through a second. If we win, obviously, we'll go through as winners. But um, yeah. That's going to be a huge game for us. Huge, huge, huge. Uh, whether or not we've um, revitalized our season, I don't really know. Tottenham on, on Sunday is certainly going to be a very, very good test. And if we manage to win on Sunday, obviously that's a huge statement. Um, I'll, I'm a bit skeptical whether we'll do that or not. I, I would I would take a draw at this point, but that would, even a draw would be, would be um, quite good. When you look at our season so far, and uh, if we can play well, you know, create a few chances, cause Tottenham some some problems on Sunday, that would be brilliant. Um, things are looking better, that's for sure. Um, and long may it continue, really. Yeah, obviously not hoping that it works out for you this weekend. Uh, but you mentioned there that uh, Ivanovic had a very good match. Obviously, struggled greatly earlier in the season. Are you thinking that he has now reclaimed that spot long term, or will it kind of be a matchup play? Uh, well, I initially thought that he would reclaim it, uh, especially seeing as as he put in such a, a solid performance on Saturday. But uh, then he was rested against Maccabee. Obviously, um, that might just be. Mourinho thinking, yeah, Baba should have a game every now and then, so we'll move Aspilicueta over to right back and start him on on the left. Um, and you know, Ivanovic is just coming back from a major, in- well, not a major injury, but you know, a significant injury. So um, maybe just you know, ease him in. I don't really know, but I would expect him to start on Sunday. Uh, I know that Mourinho, uh, he. Uh, he loves Ivanovic and he's very, very loyal to him, uh, which was obviously proven in the first few game weeks where Ivanovic, he was uh, he was dreadful and started every game still. So uh, I would I would fully expect him really to, to be back on Sunday. Uh, I don't think Mourinho's really convinced that, that Papa is, is good enough for the Premier League yet. And, you know, I, I might agree with him actually because while he, he certainly is a better attacking prospect than Ivanovic. Uh, defensively, he's not that solid yet, especially in, in one against ones. Um, he's uh, he's e- beaten too easily, and and you know you can't have that in the Premier League. You're you're going to suffer. Um, so I fully expect Ivanovic to start on Sunday with Zaspeliqueta at uh, at left back. All right, and now on to Tottenham, who Rasmus there mentioned uh, will be playing Chelsea at the weekend, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, things that have happened this week at the club, Pochettino had an interesting interview uh, where he had some quotes that raised interest, uh, first being Tottenham are one of the most attractive clubs in the world for all players, not just young players, which is a heck of a statement. 
and I would like to think that it's been based on players that we've been talking to and not just an assumption. Uh, but again, we have been unbeaten since week one, so we are on a great run. And I definitely believe that young players would want to come to the club. We saw it with Ali over, over Liverpool and a couple of other clubs. Uh, same with Clinton and G. And so I very much believe that young players want to come as Pochettino obviously has a knack for helping young players either focus enough or focus enough to develop, uh, to, to grow as players and individuals. So uh, it was a very broad statement. A lot of Tottenham fans were like, yeah, we are. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right, let's, let's see. Let's see us being one of those most attractive clubs in the world bring in players first before we start just saying yes automatically. Uh, and, and the second thing he said that was very interesting was that uh, not just young players, uh, uh, that young players aren't our only plan going forward, uh, and that our plan is not only about player development, which kind of backs up what he was saying earlier and indicates that we are probably looking to bring in a few options, uh, most likely at striker, as rumors begin to swirl around Pato and Mbolo. Uh, as we look to find a second option for Harry Kane, who, fun fact, has played in every single Tottenham match this season in all competitions in some form or another, which is obviously not a thing that you want to rely on. He has proven to be quite uh, healthy and has not had any major injury issues as I knock on all of the wood on earth. Um, but we still need a second option, especially if we expect to uh, continue on in Europa League, which we would be able to do tomorrow. Uh, with a win against Karabag, Karabag, that team uh, from Azerbaijan. Uh, and speaking of that, uh, as far as squad news goes, uh, Musa Dembele, Danny Rose, and Kyle Walker all stayed in London rather than traveling to Azerbaijan. Uh, Nasser Chadley seems to be about three weeks away with his ankle injury. Eric Lamela will have a late fitness test before our match against Chelsea, which we mentioned a couple times now. And uh, Nabil Bentaleb is still trying to, to recover from his ankle injury, which was a little bit uh, uh, more damaged uh, in international break after it looked like he would be back in time for the Arsenal match a couple weeks ago. Uh, but it doesn't look like he's too far off either. And just to wrap up this neat little segment with an awesome bow, uh, fun fact, no opposing player has scored a winning goal against Tottenham this season. Our only loss coming by Kyle Walker's foot into our own net. So... There's a thing. <laughs> and uh, usually, I segue very beautifully, as our guests did on their own earlier in the show, into the topic. But the topic today is both heavy-hitting and not related to anything we've spoken about thus far. Uh, earlier this week, the FIFA Ethics Committee uh, stated that they are trying to uh, get a lifelong ban for Platini, uh, obviously president of UEFA, suspended at the moment, uh, having failed his... Uh, bid to to have that thrown out, as did uh, Sepp Blatter. Neither of their appeals went through. So we'll just get into it. If the ethics committee and or legal process of any number of countries, with the U.S. also uh, potentially looking to extradite some of these guys, if they succeed in taking down Platini and Blatter and other high-ranking officials in football, how do you think the landscape would change in football, and how would you like to see it change? I think there's no question that it needs to change. Um, the events of the last what three or four months have certainly shown us that the majority of the top figures at football's governing bodies, be that FIFA, be that UEFA, be that other footballing um, 
governing bodies uh, like the one that Jack Warner was in charge of in, in that area of the world mm. that he's since been been given a life ban for. Um, it's difficult to kind of trust anyone who's been previously associated with that era, which makes it very, very difficult for me personally anyway to see a feasible um, kind of clean future with one of the current kind of presidential nominees in charge because a lot of them, if not all of them, have had obviously a lot of experience in in FIFA and and football um, since, you know, well, certainly since they've been kind of in their current roles, most of which have been closely associated with either Blatter or Platini. Um, So it's kind of like, are they guilty by association? Um, Prince Ali of Jordan lost to Blatter in an election you know, days after the FBI raided their hotel, if he can't win then, can he win now? I don't know. You know, um, Sheikh Salman's got his own issues with with Bahrain and the pro-democracy stuff there. Mm. He also supported Blatter in May and then put his support in Platini in August. So I don't think he's the best judge of character in terms of where he lays his presidential support. Yeah, and Van Prague Uh, is now the acting head of UEFA, having been the vice president behind Platini. Yeah, so it's it's difficult. You have to wade through a lot of layers of people before I suppose you find someone that's not tainted by it all. Um, so, and you know, I don't know. I'm not going to profess to know enough about the kind of presidential procedure to, you know, see how that would affect things. But it's certainly very very difficult because now that this has all come out, um, you know, the kind of payment off the official table payments of this that and the other you know seven figure salaries being floated around um you know what happened with qatar and and russia and the voting processes there um i don't know it does will it take several governing bodies like the fa and of different countries to just up sticks and say enough is enough we're starting our own is that the only way that you can wipe the slate clean and make sure that people can restore some faith and credibility in in the game. I'm not sure. I don't. I, I don't have the answer really. It's just it's a sad state of affairs that it's come to this, and that it was allowed to go for so long without being kind of properly addressed. Yeah, I agree a lot with what Jim has just said. I think it's it has to be a real good shake up. I think they need to deal with the, the you know the people they've got now, Platini, Blatter, and and clear the decks really. And I, and I think. You know the, the the big football associations in. I, I kind of wonder whether a big football association in the world or in in Europe should actually take control and and have a representative on a kind of board that they all have a say in. I mean something like that. I mean that would probably work well where more people have uh, have a say in something. I I really don't know how they can how they can do it all again or whether like Jim mentioned there was rumours that uh, somebody. Uh, um, FAs around Europe are, are going to set up their own kind of uh, similar similar things. So it, it's just a real mess. It, it really is a real mess. And how you know how football can get to this point? Uh, well, I can see how because of all the money involved. That's that's a sad fact of the matter. Um, it, it's just it's just a real mess, and it's it, it kind of you know it kind of sours what you know everything good that's happened in the game. I mean. It, you know they've got so many great competitions. You know, so, some really good. You know, the stadiums brilliant around Europe, and you know, there's so much good to talk about football in in Europe and the world. But 
you know, this just sours everything. It's, you know, the, the governing body of the game, um, you know, doing what they've been doing or getting up to is, it, it's just a crying shame. It really is. Yeah, I agree with um, with both of you. It's um, It's outrageous. And the thing is, we've known for the last 10 years or so, it was corrupt. It was so blatantly obvious. Um, so the fact that it's taken this long for something to actually happen and for bans to be given out is, is also, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a disgrace, really. And to watch Sepp Blatter sit in interviews and say that they're a non-profit organization is just painful to watch. <laughs> Uh, especially when you know he's then confronted with, well, you're a non-profit organization with a billion euros in the back. In reserves, yeah. Yeah, that's a reserve, right? <laughs> you know how can how can we allow that to to go on for so long? It, it's beyond me. It's you know it's a crime, really, isn't it? And they should they should actually be be um, facing jail time, if you ask me. But um, it is it is a it's a huge problem, and as as Jim touched on as well, um, where where do we go from here? Do we need to start over completely, or is there some way of salvaging something from this, you know, excuse of a of an organisation that FIFA and, and UEFA they are now? It's a it's a real uh, it's it's a real problem because the hole that's been dug is so deep that you know I I can't really see out of it anymore and. I wouldn't trust anyone who was elected FIFA president uh, now because they all seem as bad as each other, really. Um, every time a new candidate steps forward, the media, they're quick to expose, oh, well, you know, they've done this and this and this in the past, and none of them really seem reliable. So um, I, I, I think we need to... Uh, to to have like free elections or something it's 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 difficult though because you can't ask the whole world to vote um but the alternative right now is that you know just another corrupt leader will be in the seat and and can sit there for possibly as long as Blatter has which is uh you know my whole life pretty much mm. uh and it, it just can't be like that because so much money is is disappearing into their pockets when it could be used for so many other good things. Uh, Brazil, the World Cup in Brazil, perhaps being the most blatant example of of how FIFA just ripped Brazil off as a country mm. uh, when they needed the money so badly for you know schools and roads and whatnot. Yeah, my favorite was the one where they built the stadium in a city where there are no teams. Yeah, and it's yeah. pretty much it's. It's already oh, it's defunct. The yep. world's biggest bird toilet now. Yep. Um, and, um, you know, the whole thing about Qatar and how many people are actually dying in, through constructing these stadiums and FIFA insisting on the right to sell beer because Budweiser is, is one of their biggest sponsors. It's just a mess because they need the money from the sponsors but, and they're, they're going to have to give in to their demands as well, you know. Um, and it's it's just. It's, well, didn't Brazil want to not have? Oh, that, is that what you're saying? They didn't want to have alcohol, and then they didn't want doing have, the same but, thing. But FIFA told them that they're doing it anyway. Yeah, you know we're above your law, which is ridiculous. <laughs> um, and you can't you can't have a football organization with that much power. 
to actually say your country's laws we don't care about them we're, we're gonna do whatever we want so um, I don't I don't really know what needs to be done here but uh, it's certainly not just a little little bit it's everything needs to be changed and the elections need to be as open as and transparent as possible really Rasmus hit the nail on the head there with the transparency thing I think if there's one good thing apart from the um, obviously prosecution and hopefully apt punishment of the officials that have been involved in any kind of wrongdoing is the fact that peop- the eyes of the world are going to be watching FIFA now from from now on and hopefully they will be they'll recognize that whoever does get elected because let's be honest it is going to be one of those six guys um, it's not going to be anyone else um, Platini in all likelihood now is not going to be able to stand so it's going to be one of the other candidates that we've we've talked about previously and I think when they come in I think what they have to do in, in order to try and restore some credibility is just be open and honest and say from now on we're going to have to be as transparent as possible the, the books are going to have to be audited uh, you know, publicly, as as you you know, we see reports from football clubs come out every year in terms of where the money's been spent, uh, what's coming, what's going, kind of FFP calculations and all that kind of stuff. We should see those. You know, it's in a it's in the public interest to make sure the money that's being generated from tournaments, from you know other revenue streams, sponsorship, etc., is being spent wisely. And if I was a sponsor of FIFA. You know, I know a lot of them have already spoken out against what's happened and called for action. That's one of the key demands that I'd be making. You know, the proper financial management of a huge corporation, um, and probably the best thing I would guess would be kind of a, a two-term presidency, like they have in the United States, mm. um, to to allow against the kind of long-term corruption and wrongdoing of people like Seth Blatter who've basically been able to run a mock for what 16 years he won four straight elections I think mm. maybe five um so you know at least with a two-term system it's not perfect but what it does mean is that you're being held accountable more by the fact that you only have a short power status in 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 relative terms um to be able to kind of do what you can because it's there's no doubt that if Blatter was seriously challenged at any point I don't think he he wouldn't have been able to get away with what he did because he, he'd been in the game for so long and garnered that many contacts and obviously underhand tactics and whatever else is going to be proved in the next kind of months and years that there was no way he was ever going to lose an election there were, there were too many people that stood to gain from him continuing to win and carrying on what he was doing yeah. so at least with a two or a one-term system, but then again, that seems too short when you're talking about a World Cup being every four years. It's very difficult administrative-wise, I guess, to to make an impact in four years. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that I mean, that was, would be one of the main things I'd want, a two-term system and, and much more financial and, and organisational transparency from them to allow the world to kind of understand that they're making an effort to change as much as anything else. Yeah, uh, I have a, an idea. We, we talked about this a little bit, uh, well, I did with Steve Boniface, who comes often on his fine pub sports show, which you should go listen to, uh, about maybe if the finances were a little more transparent, as, as some have mentioned, that maybe that would help. So here's my idea. What if FIFA was publicly traded? 
then at least there would be an external group of people that could hold them accountable. Not saying nothing shady happens at publicly traded companies by any stretch, but at least there's a board that can counter out the president or, or something. So if something like that was going on, they could do that because the SEC is already looking into football slash soccer companies. Sorry, I had to say it. I know a British child dies every time you use the S word. That's all fine. Um, but in the U.S., because so many companies had ties to FIFA, like Coca-Cola uh, and the like that have already been mentioned, like Budweiser, which I think is made in the U.S. now, if I'm not wrong. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I think that's a very interesting idea, is if it was publicly traded, at least they'd have to say what they were doing to their shareholders. Um, in other news of what we've kind of been talking about, I would like to think that it depends on who is elected, but as uh, many have already said, not really sure if that's where the corruption is beginning or if that's kind of the symptom of the whole organization kind of being diseased where you have situations like I think Rasmus already mentioned Jack Warner and you had someone like Chuck Blazer who have from a very started from a very low level and corrupted their area and then because of that kind of risen through the ranks quickly based on how much success they had uh, and I think it would be almost impossible to pry those kinds of people away from their money and perhaps even more so their inflated self-importance where they, they can do massive things. Like I think Jack Warner uh, canceled a match because he couldn't make it or something insane like that. And there are tons of stories about what he did kind of in the Caribbean over his tenure. Uh, but there's just so much money going around that it's very hard to keep track of, which is why I think maybe being publicly traded would at least... They'd have to have a budget that was at least announced. Um, but I'm not sure anyone will ever trust FIFA again. I'm getting that sense from you guys as well. Uh, Steve's suggestion was maybe we start a new organization. Uh, I think that that would be hard because we have there are surely good people in the current system that we would want to pull over. But how do you know who was actually clean? Would we have to go through this whole process before we could do something like that? Because... With the likes of Jack Warner and Chuck Blazer going down and starting to name names, which is kind of how all this started, is when Chuck Blazer decided to be a, a, an actual informant uh, in the U.S. If you see Platini or Blatter starting to look at jail time, as Rasmus mentioned, uh, might they start leaking memes downwards of people that helped them conspire to do all this stuff? And if so, maybe that would help to kind of picking out the the disease from the flesh that is fifa that was a really gross visual and i apologize for that um but i i, I don't know it the, it the biggest problem with all of this is that we get very upset about it we don't like the direction it's going but we're still going to pay money to watch the matches we're still going to watch the world cup on tv we're still going to watch heavily pageanted draws like we're about to watch with the uefa one on december 12th check your local listings um but I don't. The trust is clearly gone. Nobody trusts them, and I'm sure very few steps that could be taken to solving it would be met with optimism. With most people probably thinking, "Oh, well, it's just another round of kind of greedy, scummy businessmen that are about to take over." But short of going public, and I'm not even saying that's the best idea. It's just the best idea I can come up with. Um, so if you have, a, if you're listening and you have a better idea, feel free to let us know. But I think we've all reached a point where we're tired of it, and we would love to be able to trust the organization that is in charge of the world's game that we all love and, and talk about here bi-weekly. 
So, Kev, I think I think there's a there's a thing here that football isn't in a particularly bad place at the moment. I know the governing body are all over the place because of what's happened, and I truly believe an example needs to be made of these people. But where there's a lot of money, there's always a scope for somebody to take advantage of it. It happens in all walks of life. You know, it's happened in banks over here and things like that. It, it will always happen because because of you know money is such a big thing it's it's all about greed and wanting more and football's kind of got to that point but I do think that if an example is made of these people then you're right it would help to be able to clear the decks because more people or it would encourage people not to do it in the future uh, as the first point and it would also encourage more people to shop those that are involved um, you know, throughout this tenure of Blatter and Platini and, uh, and maybe, you know, deeper than that. Um, but I do think it will be difficult to set up a new one from scratch. Um, I just think that the decks need to be cleared completely from this one and kind of just to start it all over again. Not as a brand new thing, but, you know, just with different people involved, people that we can trust. But then the thing is, who are those people that we feel that we can trust this this is a thing and like i say football's not in a particularly bad place there's just so much money involved and it will it for me it just seems to it will tend to always encourage those people forward that could take advantage of certain points but you know everything's got to be transparent from now on it really has yeah i think that's an excellent note for us to leave that topic on again if you guys have any thoughts feel free to message us at epl roundtable or any of these guys who will all plug here in a little bit because I think it's a very important conversation to have that a lot of us don't uh, either for lack of wanting to or lack of people wanting to listen to us. Um, so yeah, anyway, obviously we all want to see it thriving. And, and you're right, Jay, on, on the money aspect that the, we're bringing in tons of money. It's just what we're doing with it once mm. it is once it is earned. All right, uh, well, we are going to quickly move on to Player Watch, where we're going to quickly discuss who is the best fantasy option at your club for this match week, which is match week 14. We'll start with Jim. Do I have to say it, or can we just assume? <laughs> How great would it be if he broke Van Nistelrooy's record against United? Yeah, I would love Jamie Vardy to score. I think, I'm not sure there's a goal I'd cel- I'll have celebrated more than the one that he scored against Manchester United last year. But I think if there's going to be what, because of the context of the match and stuff. But Oh, yeah, you beat them, didn't you? Yeah, and yeah. it was at home and all the the second half, they shoot towards the cop end as well. So that's us, a lot of the season ticket holders, basically. Um, so when second half like that happen, we're kind of right in, in front of where they're scoring the goals. So that's um, such a huge thing in terms of like the the dynamic of the atmosphere and, and where the noise comes from um, but yeah I think if he scored against United it would probably be a level with that on kind of the spectrum of, of history really because I think that 5-3 game will go down as one of the great Premier League games um, caveated with the comeback that, that we made in that season um, but to, for him the story you know I've told the story several times on this show and it's been done to death in the media now so I'm not going to do it again um, but for him to score and break Van Nistelrooy's record against Manchester United, you know, that would be nothing short of superb. And I don't know how much he is in fantasy football now. Um, he's probably gone up significantly since the beginning of the season, I would guess, but he's probably still not one of the most expensive strikers by a long way. So if you wanted to put him in, then, and you've got faith in him, 
when a lot of people might start to bench him over the next few games, even if he does score. You know, you look at the fixture list that we've got. We've essentially got to play every big team that we've not already played between now and New Year. So it's going to be a tough period. So maybe him um, for the next few games. But definitely, I don't think you can have anyone else in your team but Vardy for, for the Manchester United game. Yeah, he is listed at 7.4 at the moment, uh, which is not uh, too ridiculous at all, as he's only, let's see, do, 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 one, two, three, four, five, this is great radio, six, seven, 13th highest priced striker behind the likes of Hyung Min Sun, Wilfried Bonnie, who doesn't actually play, uh, Pella suspended, Benteke's in there, hurt, Martial 19, I'm counting that as my mark against them. So yeah, that is absolutely nuts. If you it's somehow don't have him in your team, probably do that, that seems wise. Uh, I also think Mahrez is, is a great play this week, although United do have the stingiest defense in, in the Premier League at the moment. So, But if it happens, I'm sure all of us will be equally excited, as I mentioned earlier, all football fans are vicariously living through Leicester at the moment. All right, now, Jay, obviously last week not so great for people starting Palace players. Who would you recommend this week? <laughs> Can I just say, uh, going back to Jim's point, uh, it'd be great to see Vardy break that record, but it is, there is a, that is the Premier League record. There are records which are a little bit higher than that, which cover the whole of football because football didn't actually start in 92 when the Premier League started. That's it's so real weird. Bad. I, I thought it, it had. It's, I know it's a real bugbear of mine because you know Sky TV and the Premier League seem to say these records is going to break this record, which yeah, true, he's going to break the record in the Premier League if he scores against United. But I think there's another couple of goals to go uh, above that, which is for the whole of football. So, um, but they don't really talk about that, funny enough. But I, I, I agree. Well, I, would great. you think that it sells newspapers or gets people to watch? Coming up at eleven, breaking news: a player could break exactly. this record in five weeks. <laughs> exactly it's dramatic isn't it and it's for the now so i can completely understand that but I, I it's great to see vardy you know doing what he's doing he's in my fantasy team so hopefully he continues scoring <laughs> um but back to palace yeah for me against newcastle it can only be one man can't it i mean for us he's been fantastic this season since we signed him justifying the price that we paid for him um johan goodbye i mean he was great against Sunderland. he couldn't do it one-handed um, no, not Patrick Bamford. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Kabai has just been fantastic. And for me, I expected him to have... He's had some big games this season for us. Couldn't single-handedly do it against Sunderland, unfortunately, however much I wanted him to. Um, but against Newcastle, his former team... Pardew says that you know it's just another game for him, but I, you know, in the back of his mind, he will want to beat Newcastle on Saturday. They're struggling. He will want to, you know, put them deeper in the mire, even at this early stage of the season. And I'm fully expecting Kabai to have a big game um, against some of his former teammates. So it just continue what he's been doing, really. Um, and I fancy him to score as well. He was close to scoring against Sunderland on two occasions. It just wasn't coming off for us. So for me, I think it's going to be Kabai that's going to be uh, your fantasy uh, player for Palace this weekend. All right, thanks for that, Jay. And Rasmus, who do you think is the best option for the Chelsea side that's going to lose to Tottenham on Sunday? Sorry, what? I, I did not understand that question. <laughs> uh, completely unbiased uh, hosting from this guy. <laughs> Very professional. 
Kevin, very professional. I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, who's going to score the hat trick on Sunday? Uh, <laughs> exactly. You, I do. I am aware that this is the week Hazard's going to remind us all that he's great, like entirely. Yeah, yeah. this is the week he's going to. It's going to do that and then steal his move to Tottenham, isn't it, Kevin? Um, <laughs> in twenty twelve, in that ultimate dimension, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, speaking of Hazard, it might be him because he showed very, very promising signs on Saturday, and if he plays anything like he did on Saturday, it would be weird if he didn't get an assist or a goal or a hat-trick or six goals. Um, <laughs> getting slightly ahead of myself here, maybe, but um, he uh, he was very promising on, on Saturday, less so last night. The question is, which hazard is going to turn up? I'm not talking about whether it's going to be Torgan or Killian or whatever. <laughs> but um, is it going to be, you know, the guy who's just going through the motions, just, you know, doing the minimum effort, or is it going to be the guy that's fired up um, who wants to prove everybody, prove to everybody that he is still the best player in England? Uh, it's difficult to tell. So if you if you like a gamble, and Hazard's the one. If not, then William will probably score one from a free kick, so why not go with him? Yeah, I think he, his free kick rating in FIFA is in the 60s, so if EA could fix that... Yeah, so if EA could fix that, that would be great. He scored, he scored six free kicks out of 12 attempts this season. That's roughly 50%, if my math that is, is right there. exactly 50 <laughs> um, Four in the Champions League group stage. Uh, he's already... He called the record for most free kicks scored in one Champions League campaign, and we've only played five matches, so that's that's just ridiculous. Um, I don't know why we didn't have him shooting our free kicks last season. To be honest with you, they probably uh, looked at FIFA. <laughs> yeah, they were like, "Oh, hell no." Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. As, as Jim points out, uh, it, he's he's scored four direct free kicks in the in Champions League. And there's only been scored one uh, free kick in the Champions League that hasn't been from Williams' boot. So he scored four from from six attempts, I think, in the Champions League, something ridiculous like that. And the rest of the players in the Champions League have scored one from 83 attempts, I think. Uh, I read it last night. Mm. Don't don't expect me to be 100% accurate on that <laughs> stat. But it is something like that. Which, like which Willian which... expects you to have a very high percentage, just don't count it at 100. Yeah? <laughs> yes, exactly. Gotcha. Uh, uh, so yeah, I, I might go with uh, with with William as the safe option. Um, Hazard as as the gamble. Hmm. And a very high priced gamble he would be indeed. Uh, for Tottenham, I continue to apologize to people for Tottenham defenders and their fantasy teams because I foolishly. Uh, thought that because Tottenham are good at defending in real life that that would translate to fantasy points, but it doesn't when one person decides to make a mistake every week, Um, which constantly wipes out clean sheets, which is very frustrating. I still think Danny Rose is a great option for the season, um, just because he contributes the most to attack, but I would not be hoping for clean sheets at this point in time. Just because it just seems like it's not going to happen for whatever reason. We defend excellently for 80 minutes of a match, put it away, and then give up a late one for no reason. So, uh, not them. Uh, I'd probably say Christian Eriksen is the way to go. Although, 
Harry Kane obviously had great success against Chelsea on New Year's last year. Um, but uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if they learned from that last season. I think Ericsson will have more space. Uh, Lamelo won't be playing, so it keeps us from having that situation where they kind of run into each other. Uh, Lamela could pass a late fitness test again, but it, it isn't looking likely at this point in time. Uh, so I think Erickson is the way to go at 8.4. And it's very surprising how few people bought in on him. I, I got in last week. Uh, still owned in just 6.2% of leagues, which is quite low for a player uh, through whom most of, most of Tottenham's attacks flow through. So Christian Erickson, I think, is, is my fantasy pick for Tottenham this week. And we will very quickly head on to match previews. Uh, where we will start with Jim as he discusses their upcoming match against Manchester United, which we already did touch on a little bit, but how do you think this one will go? Yeah, as we've said already, it's going to be a really interesting clash of styles because um, Manchester United have the, the stingiest defence in the division and you know that is the major reason they are in second place because they don't score a huge amount of goals or haven't scored a huge amount of goals at the other end. And Leicester are the exact opposite. They have, I think, one of the f- bottom five in terms of the, the, the most goals conceded. I think it, the, the most goals conceded go in order 20th, 19th, 18th, 17th, 1st. I think they're the, the, the top five in terms of goals conceded teams. So that's just, it shows how incredible um, we've been going forward to, to kind of counteract that statistic and and be top of the division at this stage um i can't see united keeping a clean sheet despite having a really stingy defense i think it's going to take a lot to resist the kind of attacking prowess that we've got but then maybe that will make it a better game if we scored early kind of like the arsenal game where we struck first and that forced arsenal to come out and play a little bit and they played a lot and we lost um, so it could potentially be another one of those games where you see the kind of big gun having to up their game a little bit because they're, they're looking slightly nervously over their shoulder. Um, obviously, quite a few of the players in this team will have at least seen, if not played in, the uh, the five three from last year as well. So actually, I, if I had to, I'd, I'd probably look at like a. I'll be optimistic and say a two one victory to Leicester, but I, I think there'll be more goals in it than people think there will be. Love the optimism there. Obviously, would still be top of the table should that come to pass. Jay, how do you think you'll fare against Newcastle? Yeah, we touched on just now, and you know, Kabai playing against his former team, also Pardew up against his former team, but the fact is, we haven't had a great form against Newcastle in the last six. I don't. We haven't won a game in the last six against them. Uh, in all competitions, which is uh, something I'm hoping that we're going to address, particularly after the defeat to Sunderland, want us to see a bit of a reaction from the players after that to kind of prove that you know they are the team that you know we've enjoyed so far this season. And you know we had a reaction after you know a couple of defeats before we come back and drew nil nil at home to Manchester United and then went on to beat Liverpool. We had a a bit of a spell there where we you know we we weren't playing that well. Some players were out of form, um, but for me, I think. I'm confident that Pardew is going to address some of the issues that we had in that game. I don't think Newcastle are going to set up the same as Sunderland. I don't think they've got the same kind of defensive players. But 
maybe I'm foolish to say that because Sunderland has struggled arguably more than Newcastle have this season. I think they have more flair players. I mean, Sunderland certainly didn't have any width on uh, on Wednesday. They were very defensive from the start in terms of filling the midfield and, and the back line. I don't think Newcastle will be, uh, be the same, which will hopefully play into our hands a little bit because, you know, they, they will come out and attack us. I think they're a counter-attacking side away from home, which will hopefully allow us to get in behind them. But... You know, funnier things have happened. I, I, I really am hoping for um, a reaction from the players and goodbye to, to, to star in this one against his former club. Uh, and for us to, um, if it's to sneak a win, then great, just to get us back on the uh, straight and narrow again and, and kind of prove that the Sunderland result was a was a bit of a freak for us. And hopefully we can kind of pick up from you know some of the great results we've ha- had already this season and push back into the top ten. All right, and Rasmus, I'll like, let you take the first stab at this uh, Chelsea-Tottenham match. Yeah, I mentioned earlier that you know right now we're we're taking baby steps forward. Um, hopefully, we can take quite a large baby step on on Sunday and and get the three points. Uh, it would be nice, you know. We don't that often lose to to Tottenham. Historically speaking, it would it would not be uh, surprising to see us win on Sunday, but uh, on on the back of, of, of this season and our form thus far it would really not be very surprising to see us lose. So I think that a draw, I would be fairly happy with that. Um, basically, what I'm hoping for is just a good performance where the, the players are up for it and, and they're trying their best and you know just signs that confidence is starting to return to the side. Um, obviously, a win would be, would be brilliant, but uh, a draw would be acceptable under these circumstances as well. So, um, yeah, hoping for the best, but, you know, not getting ahead of myself either. Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's a very interesting one. Tottenham, obviously, unbeaten since match week one. A lot of people talk about how that momentum is going to gather and continue, but I do think there's a little bit of pressure to keep it going, and you never quite know the direction a derby can take. Uh, like, if Chelsea scored early, I could quite, quite, wow, could quite easily see us uh, maybe have difficulty finding our way back into it Although that's not an issue we've had lately, I, I could see that kind of cropping up again. Uh, almost things have just been going too well at the club lately. A, a, a loss wouldn't surprise me. And I think Posh has earned enough uh, goodwill over the past weeks that, that uh, a negative result wouldn't really cause much uproar. Um, as much as we would like to beat Chelsea, I don't think anybody would be too upset if we didn't. Uh, I think... Uh, I think it draws the least likely result in so much as either we will turn up the way we've been playing the past few weeks and win uh, pretty comfortably. Maybe not goal-wise, but have the majority of of possession. Uh, Or we won't, (laughs) and Chelsea will win. Uh, So anyway, I I just think, yeah, it's pretty much who's going to show up. I think it will be Tottenham, because what kind of supporter would I be if I didn't? So I'll say 2-1 Tottenham, but I think it could easily go the other way. All right, and that is it from us. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Thanks for listening, guys. I've been Jim. Um, you can find the vast majority of my work at Goal.com, where I'm the chief betting editor. Um, so in terms of your uh, sports book betting for the next few weeks, if you want to check us out, we'll be covering all the major games and stuff, hopefully giving you some angles that you hadn't previously considered. Um, other than that, it's on Twitter at Jim Knight eighty eight. 
Yeah, thanks for listening. I'm Jay. I'm editor of TheEaglesBeat.com, a Palace fan site. Um, we're on Twitter at the Eagles Beak. I'm also co-producer of the uh, a local community football show called Back of the Net, which you can catch us on Twitter at underscore Back of the Net underscore. We're on every Thursday at 7 p.m. and you can get us online. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, you can follow me at, uh, at Chelsea Rumors on Twitter or you can buy tickets for my world tour, uh, Ibiza, Las Vegas. Still tickets for Wembley Stadium, where I'll be performing <laughs> open heart surgery while spinning some tunes. <laughs> I thought uh, you'd be spinning the bodies. <laughs> no. Okay, I'll take it seriously now. Where, where's our free tickets? Uh, yeah, sorry guys, actually sold out now. Um, <laughs> we'll go, we'll go backstage with the cadavers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for listening, guys. You can follow me uh, on Twitter, where am I at? Is at Chelsea Rumors. Uh, yeah, no projects so. Thanks for listening. Uh, if we could get one quick Chelsea rumor, not to put you on the spot. One quick Chelsea rumor. Um, I've heard something about a 5 0 win on Sunday. Oh, yeah, interesting. <laughs> Breaking news coming from not that happening on Sunday. Um, I did want to mention one last thing that I forgot to bring up during the FIFA thing, which is while they were talking about being a nonprofit, they came out with a $100 million plus dollar movie that uh, is a one star at best. And was the source of one of the best critic quotes I've seen in my entire life, which was, United Passions, as propaganda, is as subtle as an anvil to the temple. As drama, it's not merely ham-fisted, but pork-shouldered, bacon-wristed, and (laughs) 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 sausage-elbowed. Which is a phenomenally succinct rant. Uh, so congratulations to Ashley Clark of The Village Voice for having the best movie critique of all time. Uh, I am at Kevroff on Twitter. You can find my ramblings over at blog.playtalga.com and usually theeaglesbeak.com, but unfortunately it is Thanksgiving. Uh, well, not unfortunate for me. I'm going to hang out with my family and drink and eat turkey. Uh, unfortunate for readers of that article is unfortunately it will not be going up this week, but normal service will be resumed the following Uh, So anyway, yeah, be sure to check that out if you're interested in fantasy as well. So thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always. Happy Thanksgiving to you Americans, and we hope you keep listening. Mm